How do I obtain errors and omissions insurance as an RIA? That is today's question on the Transition to RIA question and answer series. It is question number 46. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RIA. And on today's question, we're going to talk about a very important topic and, and something most advisors have dealt with already their entire career. Uh, but if they're moving perhaps from a, a broker-dealer model that maybe they've been in that, that entire career path into the RIA space, all of a sudden this, this is a new variable that they would need to address because perhaps the entire time They've been at a broker dealer. It's been handled for them, and and now they need to handle it on their own. And so, what I'm referring to is obtaining errors and omissions insurance, commonly referred to as E and O insurance. And so, that's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode: is how, as your own RIA, would you obtain that coverage on your own? And so, for those of you watching on video, I'm I'm absolutely happy to have a an expert on this topic, Scott Shannon of Windermere Insurance Group is joining us. Scott, thanks for coming on. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yes, certainly. And so I'll, I'll turn it back over to Scott here in a second to give a, a little intro uh, on, on himself and his firm. But I did I did want to give just some thoughts on this, this topic in general. Again, uh, it's very important, in my opinion, to, to have that E&O insurance. And again, for most of you that have been in that captive environment, you, you've had it all along. Your firm's either paid for it on your behalf, and don't 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 think that was free. That was that was involved in your payout, or perhaps if you're at an independent broker dealer model, while they might have they might have supplied uh, the the access to it, you were paying for it separately, uh, you know, as a line item on your own. Um, but I, I've had, and, and Scott, you you you'll probably mix in, you know, unfortunately some some horror stories you've maybe come across along the way of. Of this is no different than any other insurance. You can't wait to be in a car accident to, to think you need car insurance. You can't wait for your house to burn down to, to need home insurance. And, and yeah, and the 99% or whatever the stat comes to of the time, it, it ends up being completely just an expense and you never see any benefit from it, but, but, but that's by design. That's what insurance is. And hopefully you never do have to have, it, but you want to have that reassurance. And so the, just the one quick example I'd give and, and certainly wouldn't name names, but I remember years ago, an advisor... Uh, in that RIA space, did not have ENO coverage. Ended up having, and I, and I forgot exactly what the the, the situation involved, but it, it was a it was obviously a, a, a problem with a client. It ended up being a complaint, and it ended up going on for years and in, in cost an enormous amount of money. And, and the advisor did not have ENO insurance. He thought, "Oh, I, I will never need this. This is an, an unnecessary expense." And, and I forgot again. I forgot what the, the specifics were, but it, it was the type of thing that E and O insurance would have generally covered. And I remember distinctly the advisor saying to me as he was just kind of emotionally, mentally drained from this this process. He said, "Oh, I am for sure getting E and O insurance after I get over the other side of this hump." And I just remember thinking. You never want to be in that city. So you do, you don't wait till the house burns down to to say, oh, I, I need some sort of coverage. And again, hopefully you never have to use it. But the the idea is that it that it is there to provide you that peace of mind. So so with that, we're going to dive into that topic here. And and uh, maybe if we could start, Scott, if you could give a little background on yourself and your firm, I think that would be helpful. Sure. Well, again, Brad, thanks again for uh, for having me on uh, today. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I work for uh, Windermere Insurance in Charlotte, uh, full service uh, insurance brokerage, personal lines, commercial lines, benefits. And the area that I focus on is specifically financial services businesses. And within financial services, I would say it's 90% uh, investment advisory firms. And, and we're, we, we, we offer all types of insurance, as I mentioned a second ago, uh, but, but the primary insurance coverages that are applicable to investment advisory firms are the professional and management liability coverages, such as E&O, errors and emissions, but also other coverages, cyber is a big one, uh, directors and officers. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a specialized, we, we believe that RIAs are a specialized business and, and this type of coverage is specialized as well, which is why we set up a, a practice, say, seven years or so ago to, to focus uh, in this area. Yeah, I think it's important to point out that, yeah, that it, it, it is a unique type of insurance, so much so we're doing a whole separate, whole separate episode here just on this topic that, you know, no offense to more, just kind of more broad-based, uh, you know, insurance providers, but you, you definitely need and want that expertise to understand exactly this specific uh, solution. So, uh, glad, glad to have you on with your expertise and looking forward to, uh, to diving into questions with you. So uh, to start with, if, if you could just walk us through what, what technically is E&O insurance, errors and omissions? I mean, what, what does that cover? What does it not cover? Uh, again, a lot of advisors have had it, whether they knew it or not. But, but now, what, I mean, what exactly are they getting when they pay for it? What, what is it in general? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's basically not limited, of course, to RIAs. It covers a lot of different industries. And so a, a nice way to kind of think, think about it is, you know, legal malpractice or doctors that, that, that are mal, medical malpractice. It's if you're getting paid to, to deliver a professional service um, and you make a mistake, you, you, you do something that you're not supposed to do or you fail to do something that, that you're supposed to do and it results in a financial loss for your client, uh, then that's what E&O is, also called professional liability. It's, uh, it's basically just to cover um, a, a client claim. And in the context of investment advisors, it's typically that you uh, allegedly um, you know, put them in the wrong investment, uh, you, you didn't follow their, their orders, and, and it led to a financial loss. Uh, and this could be, it could be an actual mistake. It could, as I mentioned, as I alluded to, it could just be an alleged mistake. And so one of the real benefits of E&O is that if, uh, if you got sued for somebody who felt that you made a mistake, even though it turned out that that was incorrect, the, the, the insurance will cover you in the event that uh, you simply have to spend you know, money with lawyers to, you know, to make this go away. So it's really just designed to, to your, your main job is advising your clients. And, and if you get, if somebody is unhappy with what you with your service, and they feel like it's warranted to take legal action, and they do, then E and O is really designed to protect you from that. And and what what exactly does it pay for? I guess obviously, if there's a, a true error, and there's you know fifty thousand dollars that the market moved, but but does it also cover things like the legal costs associated with defending such a claim, or is it or is it just more of the whatever the resolution is? No, it's, that's, that's a good point, and I should have I should have clarified that too. Like the uh, say, you make a trade error um, you know, that 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 is typically typically covered as well. Although typically, you know, responds if you if you got sued, if you got sued for somebody who wasn't happy in an, an action that was taken. If an, in the context of a trade error, if if you and this, and this happened, this has happened actually 
more recently with the volatility in the financial markets, uh, if, if a mistake was made, you fat fingered a trade and you realized it by the time you realized it and you go back in the market to fix it, uh, the market's moved against you and it costs you money to do that. That is typically included in an ENO policy, but you need to make sure it is because to your nightmare scenario you mentioned earlier, Brad, you know, we, we saw one not too long ago where that coverage was not included. Um, an advisory firm had made a mistake and, and they did not get coverage. So, so that's an important component. And that's what a lot of times people think of, you know, in the context of a trade error. And, and that is true. That should be covered. But it's also it would cover uh, the, the legal expenses. It would cover if there was a, a settlement, um, if, if there was a judgment um, in, in th- that, that resulted from the, from the action. Then that's this. The finan- it's, it's basically money. You know, to from the insurance company to cover you for the legal expenses as well as any kind of settlement that might uh, or judgment that happens uh, related to that case. Okay, and that that remind I think that's what the situation was with the advisor. I had referenced that the to make it even worse for for him, it was a situation. That I think he was eventually exonerated. Is not the word that that sounds as if there was some criminal thing, but but he was found not at fault at the end of the day, but it was the legal fees that absolutely crushed yeah, him to right. reach to that point. So here, here's a guy that should arguably never should have been on the receiving end of this issue to begin with. And, and, and then he ends up having, and I, I mean, it was six figures type legal fees. Um, you know, and again, he, he, he struggled with that, uh, understandably. Um, so how is uh, E&O different in the RA world versus the broker-dealer world? So I, I worked at a, at a large broker-dealer for, uh, for a number of years in my career. And, uh, you know, I know that was, I think they even self-insured it. They were so big that they self-insured, but they would still push the cost down to each individual uh, advisor of kind of what, what they were put in there. But from what you've seen, someone maybe coming from that broker-dealer world to that RA world, what, what have you seen as the difference in, in how E&O works you know, at that broker dealers, it you know, is it like a group policy that they're they're kind of all tucked under, and, and then it's on an individual basis, or, or what have you seen in the difference there, broker dealer to RIA? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, and and, the, and on one hand, those policies are the, the coverage is similar. I mean, as, as I back to the high level of what it what is you know, it is designed to cover you if you made a mistake or or were accused of making a mistake that led to a financial loss. Then 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 if you work for a broker dealer. And it was a say it was a commission trade, or if you worked for an RIA and it was more on the advisory side, that I mean, it, it should the the purpose of the coverage is the same to, to protect you from a financial loss for something that you did or that you allegedly did. In the RIA space, the the, the, the policies are structured a little bit differently. They're they're basically written at the at the at the firm level, and it covers all the the people that work for the firm, the the folks that are coming from the BD space. Uh, would probably be familiar with you know it have it they would they would be uh, they would be required to carry it uh, through their uh, through the, the broker dealer they would tend to get a certificate that, that shows that, that they have coverage um, everybody that's a rep with that firm is going is going to have that coverage so it's it's shared with all with uh, with all these other reps that that, that, that are that are working there um, and so that the broker there, there tend to be a lot more claims in the broker dealer space than there are in the RIA space. Um, so the the cost can end up being higher on the broker depending on how it is passed down. Um, it can tend to be it can tend to be somewhat higher if you can if you compare it to what an RIA if I would say an RIA firm with five advisors what you know what that might look like. 
Um, so there, there definitely are differences, but at the end of the day, it, it is designed to, to, to kind of cover the same type of risk that your client takes action against you because they're unhappy with something that you did or didn't do. Okay. Yeah, no, I think there does sound like there's some differences there. And, um, you know, that, that's why it's worth trying to understand what, what those differences are and, and how it plays out. And so we'll, we'll dive into here in a little bit, you know, how that process looks to obtain, you know, working with someone like you, how to actually get it. Um, but at a more kind of macro level, so I'm an advisor, maybe I'm with the team, we're going to start an RA. How do I know how much coverage I need? And, and so the, the best example I, I thought of when I was kind of taking some notes was with health insurance, I'll give you an example. When I, when I worked in that corporate environment for a number of years, and so health insurance was, was one of the company benefits. And so for, I didn't really scrutinize exactly how much was covered under one thing or nothing because it was, there's one plan and that was it and, and mm -hmm. kind of take it or leave it. So for, for better or worse, that was what I got. And, and so I think that might be the case with folks that, that have received ENO or they're kind of forced to buy it from, from their, their company's solution or whatever it is. And so now all of a sudden they're, they're if they're RA and they're coming to someone like you, it's, it's kind of like, okay, well, how, how much do I need? And so I know mm -hmm. when I, when I started my own company and I went out to to source health insurance, that, that was a whole new world for me. Cause it's like, oh, wow. I, there's all kinds of variables here that I never paid attention to because I didn't have a choice uh, before. So, so if someone comes in and says, Hey, how much coverage do I need? How do you walk through that kind of decision process? Yeah, that, that, that that's a great question. And we, and we, we get that question all the time. Um, and, and our observation is that there, there's not any real, science in terms of, of how much you need. Typically, these policies are written with a million dollar minimum. We have seen some as little as half a million, but typically it's a million and goes up from there. Um, and and we, we, have a, we have some a table we put in our, our materials that shows our observation of coverage ranges, which is based, based mostly on AUM. Um, so if you're, if you're a team that's breaking away and you've got, say, a couple hundred million dollars of AUM, then you, we would normally see, say, one million of coverage, maybe, maybe two million. But what it also say is that this, this is basically you know, transferring risk and, and your comfort with insurance. Um, and, and to your point earlier, Brad, is that you know, hopefully you never use this policy. Likelihood, high likelihood you would, you would never use this policy. Um, and so some, some people say, well, I was just get a policy with a minimum amount, uh, just checking the box. Um, I, I don't think it'll, it hadn't happened to me in my career. I don't think it will, but I know I, I kind of need it. So I'm just going to go for the lower end of the range. You know, other folks might say, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been, I've, maybe to your advisor that, that you mentioned earlier, or somebody's been around a claim and seen the insurance work, um, and then they might want to simply go for, for the higher end of the range. So um, it, it, it really just kind of depends, but that, that's what we normally would see with the, with, the, with the team that's breaking away in those kind of AUM, you know, the couple hundred million, 400 million, I mean, we've seen, you know, breakaways as high as two or $3 billion that would obviously carry, you know, more coverage, but it, it's mostly benchmarked to, to, to AUM. And I would say it's a very broad range because there, there's not, there's not necessarily a science that says, okay, you know, this is the, the, the right amount. I mean, you want to make sure like I alluded to earlier, the you know, legal fees can eat up an awful lot of limit if you got in, in a situation that was a com complicated situation and you had to spend a lot of money to make it go away. Um, you could eat through you know, a million dollar limit or a good chunk of a million dollar limit you know, reasonably quickly and then not have a whole lot left over to cover if there was indeed some kind of a settlement. 
Yeah, it uh, it's a great point on the you know, not, not, not considering just the minimums to be sure. And I always say, no matter what kind of insurance it is, when, when someone looks at the minimums that you're signing up for the minimum paying for the minimum. So obviously the, the lowest price that, that works absolutely wonderfully right up until it doesn't. And so <laughs> as, as long as you never need it, you, you, you luck out, you win. But, but then generally, if, if you are one of the, the, the percentiles where, where unfortunately it, it does come into play, it generally does not work out after that point. So um, certainly, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting people have to go out there and get the max deal, but, but I think it's worth looking at that range, talking to someone like you to understand, you know, what others are doing, what the exposure, you know, realistically is and, and things like that. Um, and, and thinking of the, the coverage. So if an advisor or advisors as a team goes out and sets up and let's say, let's say there is a team, let's say there's multiple advisors involved and they set up their RA and then they come to someone like you to get, you know, uh, coverage is, is the policy. And I, I, I think I know what the answer is because you, you kind of alluded to this, but I just want to make sure it's clarified is the policy at the RIA level. So it's one policy for the RIA or, or are each of those individual advisors having to obtain policies on their own? Yeah. And that's a good question. And that is a, that that's, you know, somewhat different than the broker dealer space. I mean, it, there's one policy um, it is written at it's ABC uh, wealth management company is being set up. That's where the policy is written. Um, typically the definition of who is covered is all the, all the, not just the advisors, but, but all the employees. Uh, so if, if you end up having a claim, then say an individual advisor you know, made, made the, mis- the alleged mistake, um, this, and so the client's unhappy, they're going to sue, they're going to sue everybody in sight, probably, and they're certainly going to sue the firm, because that's where the presumption of deeper pockets, you know, might be. So, so that's why the, the policy is written at the firm level, um, and then the advisors that, that work at the firm are almost always, you know, typically automatically covered for that. So that's, so that, so you would, you would have kind of the core policy sitting at the, uh, at the entity's name, and then by definition, you pick up all the folks that, that work at the firm. Okay, that dove that dovetails perfectly then into my next question because I was going to ask you on that one, and then I think it's going to just get caught up in my next question. You know, well, what what happens if they add advisors over time, or they they double in size because they've grown over time? So that all comes back to kind of the the pricing, and then and then kind of that exposure. So how how is something like EO coverage priced out? I'm not expecting you to give any any hard numbers because these things presumably fluctuate. You know perhaps daily as, as the marketplace shifts and, and if, if risks rise or, or not. So, you know, if an advisor comes to you and, and says, okay, here's 500 million, one of the cases you mentioned, AUM is one of those variables, but how, how is it priced out? What are the variables that go into determining what that price will be? Yeah, that, that's a great question. The Typically, AUM is, is, is a big driver of that. And then within that, investment strategy um, is another one. So if you are a Plain vanilla RIA with uh, limited alternatives, uh, no no private fund that you might be managing, uh, no major client concentrations. Um, that's something that, that is looked at. If you're offering some what we call concierge services, if you're doing bill pay or you're doing some tax prep work or you know, you're doing some trustee work, um, some policies you know, exclude that or or charge for it. Um, so. Those are, there's not like a, we're not privy to uh, any kind of a grid that says, you know, this is, this is how the pricing works exactly. But, but the AUM is the 
kind of the main point. A lot of times, I mean, it's people coming to the broker dealer would also would say, well, I've, I've, you know, is it price per rep or, or, or IAR in this context? And typically not. I mean, that, that if you had an inordinate number of uh, IARs based on your AUM, you know, perhaps that comes into play. But generally speaking, it's really AUM and investment strategy and the, the, the more the less liquid and more esoteric of the investment strategy than the more you might end up paying. Um, but it's not as much based on the number of folks that that might, I'm sure that that's considered, but it's, it's really not a driver. Okay. And so those variables can change over time, right? So, I mean, how, how long is a typical policy? I mean, these written for one year, three years, five years, and then regardless, is there a, you know, if it is a longer period of time, is there is it wise to revisit those variables on some sort of periodic basis to say, hey, hey, the practice has maybe changed? Are, are we still getting the coverage we need? What what do you see in there? Yeah, almost always we see these policies written for one year. Um, so you're you're back at the renewal time, and um, you're you're being asked you know some questions. Some 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 of the carriers that, that we work with are or have expedited renewal process where they ask you like five questions and they're big picture questions. Like, have you had a change in ownership? Have you had an SEC claim? Have you had a, a claim under this policy or, any, or uh, revenue grown by more than 50%? Some, something, something like that that might say, okay, if that's the case, then we need an updated app. If not, then we don't. And uh, we'll just be, you know, make a small increase into today's market. Pricing is, is, is a little challenge. So they might increase it slightly or they might not in, increase it at all. Uh, but otherwise, other carriers are like, they, they want an updated application. If you have a lot of growth during the year, you say you bring a, you bring a team on and you're adding more AUM, typically that's not something that's going to trigger. Um, you have to go back to the carrier to, to get a, you know, to let them know what's going on. If you make an acquisition, then there tend to be some thresholds in there. If you, if you, you know, buy a firm and it increases your, your revenue or AUM by more than say 30% or 35%, then you might have to go back to them and, um, and they might reprice that because the, the risk has changed. But typically most, if you're just organic growth, um, typically you're not going back. Now that might be uh, factored in, would be factored in at, at the renewal. If you're doing an updated application um, and things have changed meaningfully, then you might end up paying more. But generally speaking, you've got a year to kind of run on this um, and, and not have to really change much of anything until you go through that renewal process. Okay. So you, you, you mentioned carriers, plural. And so does a, does a firm like yours, someone comes, uh, to, to get your expertise to, to have you help them with this is, is Windermere itself an underwriter? Or are you more of a broker where you're going out to the marketplace and, and saying, Hey, here's the variables. And, and coming back to that advisor, that team and, and saying, hey, here's here's what we're able to uh, to, to put together or, or how's that structurally look? Yeah. Yeah. Windermere is, is a broker. So so we, we don't have, we're not a carrier. So we, we but our, our job is to kind of go to the various carriers that are out there. I mean, being specialized and focused on RIAs and focused on the, you know, and the cyber and these types of Coverages, we, we know who the carriers are. It's not like getting home insurance where you, you could have literally 100 carriers that could potentially write that. I mean, it's a more finite group of carriers that would write ENO for RIA. So we, we, we would know literally all of those carriers and, and not all of them are going to be active at any point in time. So we feel like you know, our, our job is to understand the market, who's out there, who's, uh, who's being aggressive now, who's not being so aggressive 
Um, and then we would just go to, based on once we got an application and get the ball rolling, then we would go out to those carriers that we thought would, would, would provide the most attractive quote um, and, and, and just make sure that we've, we've covered, covered the market, know who's out there and deliver what we think is the, the best fit you know, for the client. So a couple, couple steps that involved in that process. So what, and we can, we can come back to the time needed for that, but what, what does that whole life cycle look like? So if an advisor calls you up tomorrow and says, Hey, I'm, I'm starting an RIA and we'll pick, pick something reasonable. And then four months from now is when, when we launch. And uh, so again, we'll, we'll come back to the time and, and how that works, but what is, what literally was the process? Someone calls you, maybe they've seen this episode, they've listened to it. Uh, they have a kind of a general idea. What's, what's the process from that first conversation with you un, until they're getting their, their proverbial certificate or whatever the official terminology is that they, that they have coverage. Yep, right. Um, Generally speaking, we would say like in, 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 in this kind of situation, we'd have an early conversation uh, with, with, with the team that, that's leaving uh, because a lot of the folks may not have had the deal with this. Like you said, they, they might be coming from a wirehouse and they, they, they've got E&O, but they don't, you know, they, they might set up their own firm, want to know more about it and understand the timing and the process and the cost so they can manage their budget, things of that nature. So we would have a conversation, you know, ideally relatively early, just mostly to kind of answer questions, you know, help them out, uh, let them know what, what's entailed and what, how, how long it might take and what the process is. And the process is generally you, you fill out an application um, and, it, and then it takes two or three weeks to kind of get that from start to finish. So we, we would advise, generally speaking, that we'll have an early conversation, more I'd say an educational conversation. Um, and typically the carrier's won't hold a quote for more than 30 days. So in your example, Brad, if, if somebody was, you know, so kind of meaningfully down the road, but still that, you know, four month target to be up and running, then we might have a conversation at that point and, and just get more, I'd say an educational conversation. They would say, all right, well, let's, let's circle back within a couple of months, um, two to three months, and we'll get an application. You fill that out and then it takes you know, two to three weeks. Uh, and we've done, we've done some of these as fast as a couple of days if the carrier is able and willing to do that. But we generally advise that, that you know, it, takes, it takes two to the three weeks once we get the applications back to get the quotes, to go through them. We can common size them. We talk to the advisor and say, hey, this is, we think this is, is something you might want to think about. This is a good fit. Uh, but, but a lot of times I mean, we've, you know, we've had conversations and that were like a, you know, a group was a year away from setting up and we've had conversations when it was a couple of days away from setting up. That's not ideal, but, but that can be done. You know, usually it's a comfortable, call it a three week process once we have the applications back. And the applications aren't, they'll take a little bit of time. And I know that the devices that are setting up an RIA have a list as long as their arm of things that they need to do. Um, so any time is, is a little bit of a distraction, but it's not, it, these are not terribly complicated applications. Take a little bit of time. Once they're back to us, then it's a two to three week process to be able to be ready to put coverage in place. That's a comfortable time frame. Again, we've, we've done them much quicker if, you know, if need be. And we've had mostly and prefer to have early conversations just to answer questions and, and, and make the advisor comfortable with what the process looks like. Yeah, the, the fire drill approach is, is generally not good for anyone. Yeah. Uh, and, and I am glad you, you certainly are cognizant of the fact that uh, anyone going down the RA path, setting up their own firm, there's a lot of things they're doing. Uh, you know, it's certainly something I, I help advisors with as they go down that path, but there, but there are a lot of variables. And so things can, things can get sideways. And so it, I think it is helpful to have that general idea of the, the timeline. And so it sounds like 
just a recap on the, on the time that education conversation can, can never be too early. Uh, you're getting that started, you're getting lay of the land. Uh, but then it sounds like the, the rubber hits the road. You got to kind of wait to that last 30 days to really get a quote. But I, I assume even beforehand, you can give people a general idea of, of what costs might look yep. like. You can't predict the future and, and until ink is on paper, but uh, that education session can at least help them set up to kind of be prepared for that. Um, the, the, nearing, the, nearing the end here, um, and I, I think I might make this an entirely separate episode because I think there's a lot to unpack with it, but, but maybe at a high level, if you could. So we've, we've talked obviously E&O insurance what other kinds of insurance, like I said, we'll, we'll just do it high level here. Maybe I'll have you back on for a, for a second one. We'll talk about some of these other coverages, but what other insurance coverages are you seeing or advising RIAs to be obtaining uh, beyond just E&O? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, um, and there are other coverages that are either worthy of consideration or potentially even required. Uh, and so like in a, in a typical breakaway situation, we would say there are kind of four key coverages um, and, and they're not always in play, um, but but they are in play in, in a lot of situations. And on the, the other, other, in addition to the E&O, which is kind of the, you know, the anchor, if you will, uh, cyber is one that uh, is is. I'd say critically important, probably not required uh, by anybody, but it, it is, it is a, it's a good coverage to have. I'd say the vast majority of our advisory firms, even the smaller ones, you know, now carry cyber wasn't the case three or four years ago. Uh, but that, that, that is, that is a coverage and it's, and it's, it's reasonably priced for the value that it that offers. That could be a whole other session as well um, about cyber um, and the, the claims and stuff that we've seen there, but, but that, that would be one. Um, general liability, which is also called a slip and fall. Like if you have, if you have an office space and somebody's coming to visit, a client's coming to visit and they slip on some water that was left out and they break their neck and they, they sue you. That's one that's typically required by your landlord. It's very cheap, very easy, uh, not no application. Um, but that's something that you might have to have. And then the other one you might have to have would be workers comp, which is if any of your employees got hurt on the job, which is, this is obviously not a, it's not a construction job or something where there's more risk of that, but, but each state has a, a requirement um, and it varies based on if you have X number of employees, um, then you have to have workers comp. Another one that doesn't need an application is very, very standard, very generic, um, but, it, but it, again, that may be required. And so that, that you know, the, the E&O, cyber, general liability, workers comp, that's kind of, I'd say, is the core package, but there are other coverages like if you're doing any kind of uh, ERISA work, you might need an ERISA bond. Um, and that, that's something that, 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 that comes into play. If, if you've got that kind of business, uh, directors and officers can be added into the E&O. That's, that's a good coverage in certain situations. Um, there are a couple others as well that, are, that we could talk by more detail about at some point. But, but I think that when we talk to, we so talk to a lot of the breakaway advisors, that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the core package of the four. And you, you're probably going to, you know, probably carry a couple of them and maybe carry all of them, depending on how many employees you have, what state you're in, et cetera. Yeah, I think, uh, so thank you. That's helpful. We'll, we'll definitely plan uh, to, to do a whole separate episode because there's a lot there. Uh, cyber insurance obviously is, uh, you know, a, a meaningful topic to be discussing. So we, we could dive into how that works, what that covers. So, so let's, we'll, we'll plan for that, but I think it is helpful to at least kind of keep in mind that, that, that there are things beyond just E and O and, 
And as I say, with, with a lot of the variables involved in starting your own RA, well, well, some of this can seem daunting, such as like, oh gosh, how do I manage my compliance or, or how do I manage in this case, the insurance I need? And, and the reality is there's an entire ecosystem out there to support advisors with this sort of thing, which is Scott, what, what you do. And there's a process for this. And so while a lot of this is new and oh gosh, there's four different kinds of coverages and maybe there's other ones, well, th there's a defined process for how to tackle this, how to work through it. And then there's, then there's experts like you to help them understand that. So this is nothing that should intimidate anyone. Uh, again, most of these things you're paying for now, whether you you know, realize it or not, it's, it's either a line item expense being, being pushed perhaps to your expense blotter or you're, it's effectively in your payout. So these are not necessarily new expenses to be thinking about. Um, but, but it is just something new, perhaps, to have to, 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 to work through this on your own. And, and so I think uh, hopefully this has been helpful in that regard uh, for, for folks to at least get a, an initial taste for how this process works, the kind of people they can work with. And so, Scott, obviously, I think you do a great job with this. That's why I asked you to come on. I've, I've seen some of the, uh, the presentation decks. I know, I know you've gone out there and, and given, and, and I think you're a great resource. So if, if this has resonated, people, people are going to need, if they go down this path, Yaripat, they are going to need arguably, you know, coverage on these other coverages. Uh, if someone likes what they hear, likes your message and, and wants to reach out to connect to discuss this with you, what's what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, well, the, the easiest way is probably just to go to our website, you know, Windermere Insurance Group. Uh, and, and all my contact information is, is on the website. Uh, and and, and it, to Brad's point, we, we, we do an awful lot of this. Uh, and the, you know, carriers have been through the, the, the startup process. Sometimes they'll get the question, hey, we're, we're a brand new firm. We've got to fill this application. To, I mean, we don't have a real history of the financial of our own firm. Is, you know, does that make it kind of awkward? And answer is no. This is this is, this is to Brad's point. This is a this is a, a system, if you will, that all the carriers have seen. They're, they're comfortable with. It. It's a process. We we know you guys have a lot going on and a lot of other boxes you, you have to check. I mean, this is one that is not terribly time consuming or terribly difficult. And, and, it, and it's it's a uh, it's it's a road that's been traveled many times before. So I just suggest call. You know, early. I mean, we're happy to get involved early in the process so you can understand how it works, figure out how you fill in the budget side of it. Um, and, um, and, and then we can obviously circle back around as you get closer. Um, but uh, we're always happy to get involved early. Love working with these, these kind of startup situations. I think it's, it's very exciting and uh, to be able to you know, support advisors. They're, they're you know, leaving the, the mothership and getting out and getting started. So we, we always love those opportunities. Well, Scott, I, I appreciate you having uh, or coming on and, and uh, joining us and, and giving us this education. Um, in the show notes, I will include the website. I'll include your contact information off your website as well. And, and so if you're not already there, uh, if you head on over to transition2ria.com, uh, you can see all the episodes. Uh, you'll, you'll see this one again in the show notes. We'll have the contact information uh, specifically for, for Scott, his firm, uh, and certainly feel free to reach out to continue that conversation, dive into more details. Um, and if you're not already aware, if you're watching this on video, uh, you can also listen to all of these episodes, this one included in podcast form. If you're not aware of it, the Transition to RA podcast, it's available on all major podcasting platforms. We'd love to have you uh, subscribe and download episodes and uh, certainly always open to feedback of any additional guests anyone would like to see uh, on the show going forward. But for today, uh, Scott, really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing all this expertise with us. Well, Brad, thanks. Thanks for having me. I very much enjoyed it and uh, always happy to help any way we can.